You're listening to Between Two Ravens, a Norse mythology podcast with Sean and David. Hey, Sean, how's it going? It's going great, David. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. Uh, how, was, how was your weekend? It was good. We watched the Super Bowl. I, I think we did a couple other things, hung out with some friends, you know, the basic American person stuff. Oh yeah. No, I didn't. That's for me. I didn't, I didn't watch the Super Bowl. I, I think I have an antenna for my TV, but I'd have to plug in my antenna to get Super Bowl. So I, I just didn't, but I, not too, uh, not too far, not, not too uh, big into football or no. And there's not teams I'm following that much. And I won't, I won't go into who my teams are and why they're bad, but uh, <laughs> well, when your team's not doing well, when your team's not doing well, it's hard to uh, get as excited. Yeah, I, I've kind of fallen like a little back from the NFL in, in recent years as well. But I did think it was funny. My, my wife and I were watching it and the bank, the Cincinnati Bengals quarterback, Joe Burrow, uh, she yeah. made a joke about how he looks like a mixture between a Culkin and a Skarsgård, which I can't unsee now. But I'm trying to figure out to myself which family of brothers he could fit in to. Like if somebody told me he's a Culkin or like somebody told me he's a Skarsgård, I would say, yep, I could see that. I believe that 100% and I would Bless go on my life believing it. Yeah. It's like one of those rumors that gets started and then you end up believing it for five years until someone finally tells you it was a made up rumor. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to tell like, if I didn't know that it wasn't true, I would tell like 30 people yep. like, yeah, the Cincinnati's, Q- Cincinnati's QB is a, uh, that, that would be a low key move to just go ahead and do it anyways. Just start that rumor with as many people as you can. And, uh, That's not a bad idea. Maybe, maybe could... we're starting it right now. We're putting a lot of bad ideas in people's heads. Yeah. Yeah. You told me not to be a low key. Um, but in this case, maybe I'm accidentally going to be a Loki. Well, one, one day we'll have the episode on why, why it's good to be a Loki. Sometimes, sometimes you need Loki in your life. Yeah. Um, speak, speaking of, so if for, uh, well, no, it's, as I say, you need Loki in your life. It sounds like you need love in your life. Right. But so for, for Valentine's day, uh, I don't have a drink of the day, but we, I went out and got a really nice, um, Pinot Noir. Cause we, we knew we were having like a plate of cheeses and, and meats and olives and things. Nice. And we were having a Havarti and it said on the label, this pairs well with the Pinot Noir. So I went out and there was one that had a Viking boat on the label, but it was like $6 more expensive than the other bottle. And I was like, do I get it just so I can show it on air and <laughs> so you can say it and make this, make the story, but I can tell the story anyways. And I actually got one that was called Psyche. I think they were both from Oregon and this, it said it's called Psyche because it's, it's, a, it's a well-balanced wine. Like you want a well-integrated Psyche. So I'm like, that's a good story too. I'll buy that one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what, are you, what are you drinking, John? Uh, I am drinking, it's, it's not another, it's not a beer again. And for the second consecutive week, I made it from my bar cart this time. It's a Manhattan. So it's bourbon sweet vermouth. And so you were supposed to like add some orange peel to it, but I added orange bitters because I didn't have any orange peel. No, that sounds perfect. Did I, uh, me talking about vermouth last week, that get you in the mood then to do a, a Manhattan? It didn't get me in the mood to do it. I kind of just have been busy at work this week and I didn't have time to like run somewhere to pick something up. So I just looked at the bar card and I didn't want to make a vest for martini for the second consecutive week. But when I was looking at recipes in my little uh, bar book, I did see sweet vermouth and I was like, oh, David mentioned this last week. Yeah. I think, I think for really like, you know, by the book Manhattan, I think you use a whiskey that's a little less spicier character than a bourbon, right? You might do something like a Canadian whiskey, I think, if I remember things well. Yeah. Drinking advice from Sean and David. There you go. <laughs> nice. The only other thing uh, I started doing this week, I, I read, well, I guess I, I did do this week. I read the saga, the Greenlanders, which features Eric the Red and his offspring and their in-laws, which with Eric or like a Leif Erikson is a part of, and it kind of deals with their, I guess, landing in Canada. In their run-ins with the natives. So I read that, but then I bought 
the saga of the Icelanders, I found out that it was a 750 page book. So I'm going to read it, um, but it's going to be very, it's going to be a very long process. But then I realized the Vinland sagas and the saga of the Greenlanders, something I just bought is also a part of it. So I could have just bought the one book, but you know, it's going to be good for aesthetics on my bookshelf. Is it, is it then kind of different translations though? So you get maybe a little different. Um, they're both it. by Penguin Classics, maybe, but maybe. maybe yeah. That's hard to say. Yeah. And yeah. then uh, I've been reading a bunch on shamanism. Is there topic you'll, you'll introduce more writing a blog post that is I'm trying to figure out how to explain shamanism and it can't all fit in one episode. I'm going to do three blog writings on it. So that's, that's coming up. The other thing that had just popped in my head was that, um, cause we, we, you know, we have a donation link on the, the page. If you like to support the podcast that we got our, the hosting is covered for this month. People have, you know, given us donations. Uh, so the next $10, I'm sending it straight to Sean to buy him a six pack of beer. So if you want to be the one that does that, that's, you get credit for buying Sean a beer. There you go. Please don't do that. I'm going to disappoint. I'm going to get a beer that nobody likes or just another double IPA. But if you do, thank you anyway. All right, Sean, what are we talking about this week? Um, so we are going to wrap up our series on Havamal, which we've discussed the last couple of weeks. So we can recap last week's discussion. I, I, so, I sort of started the episode by giving my thoughts on how Havamal and its lessons in wisdom may support my thought that the primary reason of the Viking Age, why it started in the first place, I should say, was due to opportunism more than a sacred duty to the gods to get into Valhalla by Vikings, primarily because we see the end goal of many Vikings or pagans in their raiding and acquisition of land to gain land or riches to which they often converted to Christianity afterwards anyway, just to be given some validity by the people that's a, in a way that where the people say, okay, well, you're Christian. If you want to rule me, that's fine. As long as you're Christian. So we talked about that a little bit. Um, then we went into focusing on part two of Havamal last week, which focused on Odin's discussions of his attempts to seduce Billing's daughter and the giantess Gunlog. And then we also talked a little bit about some more of his life wisdom that he conveyed to Ludfafnir, who last week we found was the listener. So this week, we're going to be discussing the final stanzas of Havamal, which features one of my favorite stories about how Odin sacrificed himself to himself by hanging himself on a tree, which was probably Yggdrasil, for nine days and nine nights in what was a great example of somebody reaching euphoria through intermittent fasting to ultimately learn the runes, which, similar to poetry, as discussed in the meta poetry, is an art form that implies magical capability from the user. Yeah, so Sean, so I'll read that this uh, later part of the Havamal where it stanzas 138 to 141. It's Odin's sacrifice to himself. I know that I hung on a wind-battered tree, nine long nights, pierced by a spear given to Odin, myself to myself, on that tree whose roots grow in a place no one has ever seen. No one gave me food, no one gave me drink. At the end, I peered down and took the runes, screaming I took them, and then I fell. I learned nine spells from the famous son of Bolthorn, the father of Bestla, and I won a drink of that precious meat poured from Othorir. My imagination expanded. I became wise. I grew and thrived. One word chased word flowing from my mouth. One deed chased another deed flowing from my hands. So, John, one of my thoughts is... Uh, as you were saying, this is one of your favorite things, uh, favorite lines out of the Havamal. Was your impression when you read that, that like, oh, this is uh, Odin becoming a shaman? Or did that never cross your mind? It didn't cross my mind until we started having these discussions in the past couple of weeks about Odin, what I used to call Odin and his, uh, I guess, lust for knowledge or quest for wisdom. Yeah. You started referring to as his like shamanistic journey, right? Because that's one of the things where I realized, you know, I've been thinking about that a lot for over a month, maybe even two months, right? Where 
our audience, they, they don't even know much what shamanism is probably, right? Maybe- I, I probably still don't either. So. Yeah, maybe once I kind of say it, then you're like, oh, maybe that does sound vaguely like what I know about shamanism. Uh, this is one of the things I put on the, the Instagram was that I'm reading. I got the textbook. It's basically like the best textbook there is on shamanism. I still haven't read that much of it, but from the beginning as I'm reading books that are like the Jungian interpretation on Norse mythology, they bring it up all the time that this is a, a, a shamanistic motif. But as I'm like, I think that's not obvious really to anyone, unless you're reading a lot of uh, Jungian things, probably, especially few people think much about shamanism throughout their average day. Right. So I just wanted to kind of acknowledge that it's, it's a strange idea that I bring that up very much not obvious, but um, anything else you were going to say, Sean, where, where, where we left off? No, it's just, I like, I, I touched on this earlier. Like I, I do think that Odin's sacrifice to himself of himself to himself, I should say by hanging himself on the tree, it, you know, which seems to be assumed to be Yggdrasil. I think this is another story of Odin and his quest for wisdom. And yeah. what I've the, noticed that the roots go where no one has ever seen, right? That's sounds like the underworld, right? Sounds like another realm. But I, I think, I think this is very cool because I'm trying to go through all of the stories that we've discussed with Odin trying to learn stuff or gain wisdom or gain this um, prestige of being somebody that is, that has wisdom and figure out exactly what is he trying to learn there? Like right here, we understand what the runes, like we understand he's trying to learn the runes, yeah. which 1500 years ago is what some people in the Viking age used to write things down. A majority of the population did not write things down. So the people that did were probably looked at as having some magical capability this person wrote these runes down on a rock. They probably have some mystical power that I would love to learn more about. I need to look at this person as a source of wisdom and a source of knowledge. You know, I'm just thinking now about my take on it being shamanic wisdom, right? That it was actually something you had told me, I think within the first couple episodes, that you were really interested in Odin's quest for knowledge, his obsession kind of with, with wisdom, right? And then the yeah. whole question of what is wisdom? If you really stop and try to define the word, right? That's, you know, as I was talking about the stoic virtues, one of them is wisdom. It's very much not an easy thing to define, you know, from the narrowest to the broadest meaning of what's wisdom, but this is a, a type of wisdom. You're saying like the runes, it's magic, but maybe it's a type of wisdom too, right? So that's uh, yeah. something we can use. Yeah. And, and something I think you said in that episode as well was like, well, and I think I mentioned that Odin had like a lust for knowledge. And you brought up the word wisdom. And I think we discussed discussed briefly like what the difference was. And I, add, I added the part about maybe being looked at as a person of wisdom containing that prestige. Yeah. And then I, th I think back to like one of the earlier stories that we discussed, it wasn't, we didn't dedicate an entire episode to it, but um, um, so it reminds me of this uh, story where Odin wins this contest with Riddleweaver, who is a giant in Vathruth and the Small, which is also found in the Poetic Edda. And he wins this contest by asking Riddleweaver, what did I say to my son at his funeral pyre? Riddleweaver said, I don't know, you win this contest. So Odin's wisdom in that episode was simply that he beat somebody that's looked at as being a person or a being of wisdom. And so that's where like this prestige comes into play. But I'm wondering if like that also being looked at as a person of wisdom in itself or having the perception of wisdom is a part of what wisdom is. But then you look at this story with Odin hanging himself to learn the runes. It's, it's something completely different, but I'm wondering if this gives like a validity to your thoughts on Odin's lust for wisdom being this like shamanic growth. One of the other thoughts is, um, I think it's a theme we'll probably come back to, I hope at some point, uh, Odin's lust for power, 
right? Like, is he, cause mm-hmm. you know, and that was, I made that joke, right? That knowledge is power, but it's that, that knowledge is the things, you know, but wisdom is knowing, should I have a, you know, knowledge uh, competition with this giant, right? Or should the giant have a knowledge competition with this guy, Odin, right? And like, if there's consequences for losing, right? That knowing yeah. what's the appropriate thing to do is actually the wisdom, but it's that question, right? Does Odin really want true wisdom or does he want power? And he thinks knowledge and wisdom will get him there. That's a bigger question this, that I think we'll come back to again. Yeah. yeah or this like perception of wisdom. Yeah, Cause that's powerful, right? Yeah. That, that people see you as wise, you know, like to be a wizard or a, a sorcerer. It could be terrifying to people. That's power, right? So yeah. Exactly. Um, but in this case, him sacrificing himself for nine days and nine nights, he starves himself, hence the bad intermittent fasting joke I told earlier. But he he kind of goes into this sense of euphoria where he like eventually after nine nights, nine days, like looks down, learns the runes, breaks free of the rope, and he like screams. So you kind of see that he's like being enveloped with like some sense of power. In this case, the power to learn the runes. Then he sort of transitions in the poem Havamal to talk about the spells that he knows. And so you you get the hint, you get the vibe that the spells that he knows are the spells that he learned from the runes. Then there's like another um, thing, like confusing thing here, where he specifically says there's nine runes that he learns, but then he mentions like sixteen spells. Yeah. Um, that's another instance where the number nine is being used, but it kind of contradicts itself in a little like l- like a later uh, time or a later story. Just yeah, just a kind of a random thought because they like the number nine, right? And we talked at one point about that's very symmetrical, three times three, and the number three is already powerful. That 16 is the four times four, but then also that there were 16 runes in some of the languages, but then there's later languages where there's 24 runes. So that's- So you mean like letters in the alphabet, there were yeah, 16 runes? of the yeah. different rune sets. And we'll, we'll yeah, ne- next episode, we'll talk more. It's interesting because they want to say nine because that's like a meaningful number, but then actually 16 would make a lot of sense for the historical aspect. Yeah, yeah I, didn't, I didn't think about that. Um, I didn't think about the first of all 16 uh, spells being like four times four, but I also, I knew that like elder or younger Futhark, which are the, uh, yeah. I guess the writing languages that the runes were written in. I know that they had fewer numbers or letters in the alphabet than 26, yeah. like our alphabet does, but I know, I didn't know it was 16. So yeah, I think that's right. Maybe it's 18 and I'll be wrong. We'll find out next week. Yeah. It's fine. <laughs> we'll find out next week. Yeah. But yeah, I think, so I think that's pretty cool. Um, if you want, we can go into talking about some of the themes of the spells. Yeah. I would go through a list of all, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, we'll, yeah, we'll, we'll go through, we'll, we'll read a little bit more of them next week, but just to give people an idea of, you know, this is basically the end of the Havamal, right? You, you see, it's a pretty short area where Odin is sacrificing himself to himself. And then there's a, a list of spells, right? And yeah, no, go ahead. What are the different types of spells? Yeah. Yeah. So I took I took a note there again there's 16 of them. I made a list of 6 because I think there's a lot of crossover with them. But so the first one is a healing spell. Oh by the way these like spells kind of remind me of a fantasy video game. <laughs> like is I don't know, maybe a game. Yeah, I was going to say Elder Scrolls, Skyrim um or something like that, but like you know maybe any any fantasy video game really. Like I've never played The Witcher or anything like that, but um like I'm sure like the Lord of the Rings games which are Tolkien like Tolkien inspired, you know, have uh, similar spells by the characters in games um so one is healing spells which seems to be for battle and you know maybe sickness attack or defense spells which is also for battle he mentions the spell of seduction in a couple of the stanzas he mentions that he gives himself the ability to successfully woo any women and like kind of make a woman attracted to him um which is funny because in the previous week's episode he talks about how he successfully seduces gunlaud the giantess from the story of the meat of poetry, but how he failed to seduce Billings' daughter, who he failed to name maybe because he hated her. But so he he kind of contradicts himself here in saying that he has a spell that 
would prevent that from happening, but he still got shut down by Billing's daughter. He then goes into talk about how he has spells for mind control, which kind of tie into seduction. He talks about knowledge. Um, he mentions that he knows more. He mentions in one stanza that he knows the names of all the gods, elves, and dwarves, which is not unlike some of the questions that he asked Riddleweaver, and Riddleweaver asked him in Vathruthnismal. Which goes back somewhat um, to maybe what order did they happen in, right? Maybe that's actually why he was able to win, because he had done this already, but it's always yeah, tough in the mythology. Yeah. Yeah. And we go back to the <laughs> we go back to Sean's comment on uh the Norse timeline being similar to the Zelda timeline and how it may not make sense. But uh, the Norse timeline is sort of all over the place. It kind yeah. of depends on what the story, what message the story needs to tell at any given time. So no, and, and don't think about it too much. One that I think you 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 know it goes back kind of to the idea of knowledge, um, knowing the future, right? So that's maybe one thing too, where if he knew the future, he would know that that was going to happen with Billing's daughter too, right? He would know not to try, or maybe he would use mind control, right? So that's, yeah, that, that's a, the, the, knowing the future is a very common theme. And any other like thoughts you had on the, on the spells? So as you read these spells, you find it in Norse mythology, just what, what do you think about all that? I think the main, the main thing that keeps coming back to me, and I mentioned this in previous episodes, and it's probably going to be mentioned in many episodes is Odin is, he's not a God that was born to be all powerful. He goes through a journey of growth. He goes through a journey of failures, which is why, like, I, I think it's it's a very he's a very cool god to follow if you yeah. like look at different mythologies. But I think in him mentioning that he learned these spells that allow him to do you know these things, but also like kind of mentioning his failures in the same poem, just is it's very human to me, as I mentioned yeah. previously. That goes back, right? How would a human learn that, right? That's where, yeah, like you said, Odin is the god of being a human, right? It's not just an all-powerful god, but it's he's like a person who has to, if you're going to have magic, you have to learn magic. And then, you know, just as you mentioned the fantasy game, right? It's all, what I, what I think, and maybe some of our viewers think, right, is that it all sounds quite silly, right? Like it's not, you know, how are you going to find some kind of wisdom you can use in your life? Because Odin hung from a tree and learned runes, right? And that's why I, it is a thing that fascinates me and I'm writing you know, a bunch of blog posts on why it, how it could actually make sense, how you could try to make sense of this without being like, that's a bunch of silly magical talk, right? But actually what, what is uh, useful about it? What is it at least a metaphor for, if not, not, if not a, uh, maybe somehow believing in magic, right? Or something quite fantastical like that, right? Well, yeah. And if like, and I'm not, I know we're going to discuss like the shamanistic journey, journey in more detail in a little bit, but I'm wondering like how much of this stuff or these spells that he learned from his sacrifice are just like the story of a human's journey and not being good at something, but overcoming it. Yeah. So like, I, like I've had communication issues all my life. Like I've, I'm very dry in the way I speak and I've had to kind of make these huge tweaks to the way I frame sentences to the point where like, now it's like something I, I like to do. Like I'm, I'm hosting a podcast and like, I, I have to run meetings at work. So that's something else. But like, I, I'm wondering how much of this is, you know, him saying, I learned how to do something better than I did. And that, that is part of the human experience, all trying to like grow and be better. So it's interesting, Greg, because in some parts he's learning things from Mimir as kind of like a person who teaches him. And then this is kind of like a fit of inspiration. He figures out some of these things he'd been struggling with for a while, right? Maybe there's a way to say that. Yeah. So after the spells, there's only like a couple more stanzas that end the entire poem. So I'm going to read the final stanza really quick. It's stanza 164 and it wraps everything up. Odin says, now the words of the one-eyed are heard in Valhalla for the benefit of humans, for the harm of giants. Health to you who speak them, health to you who know them, joy to you who learn them, and health to you who hear them. So that, that wraps up Pablo. You know, in, in this stanza, kind of to piggyback off our last 
point here of Odin spells kind of being representation of a human's journey and just like aspiration for growth. I think maybe he's tying into like, you know, Valhalla and their future defense of giants, like he mentions for the Harbor Giants, just being the equivalent of, I guess, the gods preparing for Ragnarok as like us preparing for the future and the unknowingness of what the future may be. And earlier in the poem, Havamal, he mentions like, we need to understand we all die too. And that kind of ties in with Odin's depression or his existential distress coming yeah. from the fact that he knows he's going to get killed at Ragnarok. I, th- I think that's the best word is, is existential anxiety. So, you know, just as you're reading that stanza and I'm thinking about the idea of runes. So it's, it's funny because the way I read this in my mind essentially is that, so now that I've learned the poetry and the images in Norse mythology, when it says, now the words of the, the one-eyed are heard in Valhalla, right? So Odin's words for the benefit of humans, right? He's bringing this wisdom back so you can use it for the harm of giants, right? What are giants? They're chaos, right? So this is the way to deal with chaos. Odin is telling you things that if you know how to make sense of the poetry, right? You know the runes is one way to say that maybe. You can make sense of his wisdom. So that's, and then Sean's saying, right? When you confront Ragnarok, some major catastrophe that seems like the end of the world in your life, you have these spells if you can read them, right? So that's one way to say what I was saying earlier, I suppose. Yeah. Well, I think it's it, it's interesting that you have like very deep interpretations of this poem, and so do I. But they're they're quite different. So it's it's up to the reader's interpretation, which is why I think all of these old stories are are super cool. Um, I think if you were a wanderer like fifteen hundred years ago, traveling from farm to farm or town to town, you're going to tell these stories, and you're going to get you know, 15 to 20 people maybe around you that are so excited about what you have to say. And they're all going to walk away from that with something different. It's like, it's, uh, it's like a, the equivalent to like a modern day book club and well, people discussing and, like what, a book you know what they say about the Bible, right? Cause the Bible is so big. It's so wide things contradict, but it has something in there. That's what you need to hear right now is that the idea, right? That's the theory, right? So like you were saying, the poet comes and tells the story. And if it's broad enough, right, it's, it's not talking about anything specific of what you need to do, right? That's like, thou shall not kill, thou shall not steal things, right? But when you hear it, you'll hear what you need to hear because it is so broad, right? So that's kind of the, the idea. Sean hears what he hears right now. I hear these things because I've been, you know, read five books yeah. on how to interpret the, you know, love them all, but uh, not literally, but almost. And yeah, so that's, you know, everyone will take something different from it. That's the benefit of it being poetic rather than just written advice for life. Yeah, for sure. One thing I, I wanted to say uh, before we get into the next part here is that I think Havamal serves as, and I know we mentioned this in the previous couple episodes, Havamal serves as Odin as an old man conveying wisdom to somebody, a younger listener, which we know is probably Latfafnir, but in the first couple of like few stanzas, it may just be the general audi- audience. In either case, like maybe in this case, we're all supposed to be Latfafnir, but I think that it, it serves as the end of Odin's quest for wisdom or lust for knowledge or his shamanic you know, path. Um, so I wanted to go over some of the last uh, few stories that we did discuss to kind of like sum everything up here. What led us here, uh, right? Yeah. Exactly. So um, we did discuss in one episode, Odin in the Well of Mimir, um, where Odin sacrificed his eye for knowledge at Mimir's well. Um, he ultimately, as, as you mentioned, David, uses Mimir as a source of counsel or uses Mimir's head as a source of counsel all the way up to Ragnarok. Um, I, I included a little quote here from uh, Neil Gaiman's Norse mythology book, when he sacrificed his eye and drank from the well, wisdom flooded through him he saw further and more clearly with his one eye than he ever had for with two. So I know like he's not necessarily talking about vision, but maybe like some type of third eye here where you, you know that that is what Odin, like the ability to like understand the world better is what er- Odin learned there. I mentioned about the in the small earlier, which was Odin's contest with the riddle reaver, which is probably just a perception of wisdom more than anything else. 
We've briefly discussed Voluspa in previous episodes, um, a few times actually, where Odin wakes a dead Cirrus and he asks her questions and he ultimately learns cosmic knowledge that ultimately leads to his knowledge of his own mortality, leading to potentially an existential crisis. We discussed the Mita poetry where he stole Kavasir's blood, which was the Mita poetry from the giantess Gunlog, as previously mentioned. So he's able to drink from that, give it to the gods, some of it drops to earth, but like that kind of gives birth to the idea of poetry, which has some magical properties. We discussed this episode of Odin's uh, sacrifice of himself to himself to learn the runes. And then ultimately the entire poem of Havmal, I think wraps everything up, as I mentioned. So I know, David, you were going to talk a little bit about shamanism and you were going to tie it into Odin's journey. So I'm going to go ahead and pass it off to you. No, so that's, that's my goal is to define shamanism in kind of the simplest way possible because it's a very abstract, very broad idea. And so one of the ideas is that the shamanic cultures, that the, the people in Siberia are one of maybe the prototypical shamanic culture where really they're like their religion revolves around this idea of the shaman very strongly in other cultures maybe it's less important it's not how they define their whole religion but there might be shamanic figures it would be the idea in christianity the christian mystics or maybe some saints were doing something kind of like shamanism although they came from within a system where it wasn't really that okay to believe in shamanism yet if you linked it into the christianity maybe it was appropriate to fit in there i think i recently was reading that some native american cultures you know you go from Siberia across the, there was a land bridge there at one point or an ice bridge mm-hmm. where people migrated into uh, North America in the first place. That throughout some of the Americas, some of the cultures are more shamanic. There are some actually where they have medicine men who are not shamans. They, they use a type of magic related to that, but they don't actually do the work of being a shaman themselves. And then it's present you know, in different ways from what I've read throughout Asia, even into Japan. Uh, somewhat maybe within Africa, um, certainly South America too, kind of following that same tradition, probably the culture passed along. So what does a shaman do? It's a person who travels to the spirit realm. So it's very much a, the the textbook that I was talking about earlier, uh, very much comes from the history of religions, a scholar in the history of religions. So it's one aspect of religion, one aspect of spirituality. It's actually very much a very individualist kind of religion. Every shaman is going to have a different method or way they do what they do. They might have learned from a senior shaman, somebody who taught them, kind of like Odin and Mimir, right? Mm. Or it might be that they figured it out on their own somehow. Usually this would be because they had some type of a crisis, right? It it could be something like a major illness as a child. It could be that they had hallucinations or just really intense nightmares. All of those are things that start to shake your understanding of reality being just the things you see, or you're confronted by all these things that are to everybody else, not real. They're of a different realm, right? They're either of the unconscious realm, they're of a spirit realm, right? Depends on your uh, belief system. And then, then so that's, that's kind of what initiates somebody into the possibility of them being a shaman, right? Then they would need some training to go a little further. This would either be by a, a senior shaman that trains them, or it might be from a spirit that they confront in the spirit realm that actually guides them and teaches them things they need to learn and do. One aspect of the shaman is kind of just like a, a priest, a person that you know gives spiritual direction, yeah. advice, understanding. One of the other things they do though is heal. So kind of like a medicine man, they especially heal wounds of the soul. So if you have a wounded soul or sometimes even a loss of your soul, some of these cultures, that's the term they use that you've lost your soul. And then what do you do, right? No medical doctor can help you. You would need to go to a shaman, right? Or a medicine man, maybe. Yeah. You, you re- regain your soul. You have to figure out where it is, right? And, and then reconnect it, reintegrate it. So that's where then I think that's maybe an appropriate way to tie it back into Jungian psychology. This is why I kind of knew enough about shamanism that when I heard Odin's story, I'm like, oh, this is definitely shamanism. And then I read the book Echo of Odin. And that's, that's what they talk about there too. That maybe a couple other things to mention, why is it like Odin? Often some of those dreams involve like dismemberment. You lose parts of your body in the dream. 
this is sort of like Sean's talking about the, the confronting death, confronting your body falling apart. I don't know if everybody yeah. gets this, but I know a lot of people get somewhere in your teens, uh, dreams about your teeth falling. And sometimes that might actually be like your wisdom teeth are moving things around and you know it unconsciously and you're having those dreams. Or it yeah. might be that you're getting older. You're not a kid anymore and you know your body's going to fall apart. And then uh, it shows up as your teeth and just all the teeth start falling out. I, I've had that dream. I don't know if everybody, everybody gets that dream, but. I've probably had dreams like that. I, I, I still have dreams that I've had for years. They usually involve homework assignments being due, but I have like, I've had dreams like where, you know, my hair falls out or my teeth fall yeah. out or something like that. Yep. The, the hair falling out would be a, a great example, right? That's something you're, you're losing. And that's probably Odin in a few ways, but certainly sacrificing his eye is a dismemberment that he must lose some part of himself. Some part of him has to die. He has to confront dealing with losing that to move forward, to get any more wisdom, right? Or to get further into the spiritual realm, right? And then the idea of the spirit guides might be of the opposite sex. So if you're thinking on the psychoanalytic side, this would be like the anima. I think I talked a little bit about the shadow and your repressed feminine side. Everybody has a masculine side and a feminine side. If you're a man, you likely repress your feminine side because it's not very acceptable in society to be both, right? to have both parts out in the open for everybody to see. But then it might be that you would have a, a female spirit guide that is what you connect to. It also might be animals. That would be the idea like your, your id, right? Kind of your primal instincts maybe show up as an animal. And Odin also has that. He has a Hugin and Munin, right? He has also Sleipnir, which is helps him journey on the, uh, the world tree. The world tree is another powerful image, especially in the Siberian cultures, but I think in other cultures as well. Some, something about this idea of a world tree, it shows up in people's minds. It's like the Carl Jung archetype idea. Maybe it's because we evolved, you know, we were apes and the trees were safe. You go up in the tree, it's safer. You go down from the tree, it's chaos and risky right? Mm. Unless a snake finds you. And then that's another very powerful image, the snake, right? So are all these things, they're seared into our instincts because we were apes in a tree once. And then we yeah. evolved and we traveled and all of that, right? So the, uh, Sean, I wanted to check in with you because I think I mentioned this to you and you found it very interesting that even Christ on the cross, that might be a world tree. It's a piece of wood. It's got branches, right? And Christ is another figure that God is sacrificing himself to himself, Right. I don't know how much actually I talked about this here or if it was my, my blog post about uh, sacrifice, but that, you know, to sacrifice, what's, what's the greatest thing you could possibly sacrifice, right? You can sacrifice all your property. You could sacrifice your own life, right? But then you could also sacrifice your future, right? Your child, something like that, right? And that God, right, in the Christian tradition, he does both at once. He becomes Christ and then he sacrifices himself and his son to bring wisdom back to the people, right? That's what Odin was doing, trying to bring something back to the people. What were your thoughts, Sean, on that? The cross as a world tree. Uh, so it, like I grew up, I grew up and was raised Christian. And it's like, you, you'll see, you'll see like all over the internet, people that discuss this story, like Jackson Crawford being one of them, of the similarities between Odin's sacrifice to himself on the world tree and Jesus Christ yeah. who sacrificed, he's, he's like part of the Trinity, right? Like he sacrificed himself to himself to save humanity or to like forgive all sins. And he rose three days later and it became something more powerful. Odin, in Odin's case, he did the same thing. He hung himself for nine nights and, you know, ultimately became more powerful. He grew and the spells that he mentioned, he now knows, tell us about it. Yeah. So like he, he was able to sacrifice, as you mentioned, the worst, like the biggest part of himself to obtain that he stopped at nothing and he sacrificed like everything he had to lose yeah. or every, like everything in this world, which like he potentially could have lost everything. Um, and, and I know you mentioned earlier something I noticed when you talked about like the shamanistic ritual is people will like see images or have dreams of like them losing themselves in which Odin or Jesus Christ did in the stories. 
But it also reminds me of that book that I mentioned previously, How to Change Your Minds, where Michael Pollan talks about like experience that he had while on psychedelic drugs and yeah. his ego like was destroyed because he saw himself. Yeah. He like kind of looked at himself and then he saw himself just like fall into pieces. Oh yeah. That's definitely a, right, a dismemberment. And now he's got to get put back together. That's like the God, uh, Horus, who gets chopped up. I think it's Horus. And he gets chopped up into a hundred pieces and his wife has to put him back together. For him. And then yeah. he becomes a greater God because he's been put back together. Right. Also with Christ that he, uh, I forget if you mentioned that he gets stabbed with a spear in the side, the same way Odin does. Also Christ has to go into the underground. He goes into a cave and then he comes back out. Right. So that's a very common thing with shamans. Where do they take their spirit journey to? Often it's the underworld, right? Maybe it's to consult with ancestors. Maybe it's to consult with some other spirits that are down there. As you were talking about with Christianity, right? And then also your intermittent fasting joke, right? But there are yeah. Christians who will fast and sometimes for like quite a long time. I think uh, for Islam oh, yeah. as well, right? I think a lot and of maybe, religions. Yeah. And maybe you get a little bit closer to some kind of a spiritual experience. Um, for anybody, if you don't sleep for something like five days in a row, you will hallucinate. It's just the way your brain works, right? It need, That's why it needs sleep. So it goes to, right? Do you need psychedelic mushrooms or could you just not eat for a while. It might not be safe, right? But then not sleep for a while. Uh, might not be certain wouldn't be safe to drive either, right? But you could do that. Maybe you can just get better at dreaming, right? Maybe you can just get better at writing your dreams down in a dream journal. Maybe you try to learn lucid dreaming, you know, to then ask questions in your dream, right? Things like that are uh, things that's what Carl Jung would say. That's maybe the best way to go about it rather than psychedelics. Um, and and I think there were also a lot of the the Christian mystics or the Christian um, saints who one would use that kind of like uh, fasting to try to have visions, but also the ones who had really intense hallucinations. They see things that no one else sees that are not real, but for them, it was a spiritual experience. So it wasn't mental illness. It was consistent with their religious orientation, right? So that was, yeah. that was an okay thing, right? For other people that hallucinate, right? The concern is there's something wrong there that they're hallucinating. So Carl Jung, he actually was someone who experienced, I can't remember if it was seizures or if it was just hallucinations and then, but usually around his kind of dream state, but it would be you know, more vivid than a dream. It was like hallucinations from a young age. And so he had a lot of, and I think he had an other kinds of illness, right? Which would be kind of like the dismemberment confronting that. And, and if you read enough about him, if you go into his writings at a certain point, he does also write about going deep, deep into his dreams and having kind of like a spirit ally that was maybe just in his unconscious, but maybe it's something that's more spiritual. And I was, I was thinking that today, I'm like, you know, other people have described him as maybe like the most recent Germanic shaman, like right out of the Germanic people's traditions, which we mostly lost when we lost all the mythology and paganism, then maybe Jung was a good example of that uh, somehow. And I, I, you know, from my knowledge, I'm like, I don't think Jung described himself that way, but I was just reading, it was the last chapter he ever wrote before he died. And in that he is very much talking about that people, the way he says it is some people tend to believe, he doesn't exactly say this is very much the truth, you must believe it. Mm -hmm. But some people believe that we do have a animal spirit and a little more than just the id that it's actually like if i have a crocodile spirit he, he says this word for word if i have a crocodile spirit then i could go swim with crocodiles and they wouldn't attack me because i'm one of them right and if i you know have a tiger spirit what does that mean or if i have a tree spirit he said maybe the trees are your ancestors and wisdom right and that sounds very strange but then if you start to really study your dreams and you find something like a spirit come and start talking to you then what do you do with that? You could ignore it and leave it in the unconscious, or you could try to bring it conscious. And that's a strange thing to do, but maybe there's, you can gain some wisdom from that. You can learn, understand yourself better because you understand your unconscious, not just your conscious mind, right? So it's, it sounds like it's spirits and it's all uh, not real, but it's, if it's going on inside your mind, uh, then what do you do with that? Exactly. And a lot of people would suppress it probably just because yeah. they don't want to be considered crazy. Well, but and that's the idea, right? Because you have to, 
confront all kinds of fears before you can take it seriously. You have to confront your body falling apart and trying to put it back together. You have to confront going to the underworld and seeing some ugly things you don't want to see. And then a kindly spirit comes to you and has some wisdom that you can listen to if you're not too afraid, right? So Sean, what is your reaction to my description of shamanism? I don't think I got everything, but I got things I wanted to cover. I mean, I'm sure a lot of it is over my head, but I mean, it it fits into like my thoughts that I especially gained from this rereading of Havamal in general. Like Odin is definitely on a journey. And, you know, like, I guess through my first like reads of all of this, like I was more so just like, oh, Odin only cares for himself. He wants to know everything so he can say he's the best. You know, more more recently, like in more recent rereadings, like I've interpreted it a certain way because I've had things happen in my life that have shaped who I am. And now I'm interpreting them in a different way. And I don't want to get too morbid, but like, as, I, as I've discussed with you a couple of times, like 16 months ago, I had a panic attack. I, I've never experienced anything like that. Like I completely was lost. I didn't know what to do. I was scared out of my mind. I started seeing a therapist like every other week. I'm still seeing her to this day. She's awesome. But like, you know, in, in like rereading Odin's stories, like I, I kind of can more relate to him because yes, he, he clearly mentions like, we need to, you need to understand you're going to die someday. Yeah. And it's kind of like saying, you need to look this in the face and you're going to find comfort in that. But also like Odin does have this, this lust to know more and to like learn wisdom because he wants to be more powerful, but maybe he just wants to get better. He wants to experience the hum- human journey of growing as, you know, a person in this case, a God, but maybe as a person and like self-improvement is something I've always focused on. And I yeah. think like during that moment, I was like, well, what's going to like, why does this all matter if we all have the same fate, oh, yeah. but like, just like in like many kind of circles in my head. Like I ultimately came to the, to square one where I'm like, you know what? I think I have a little bit more knowledge now than I did before the panic attack. And and that's the idea, right? I I appreciate you mentioning that, that you had a panic attack, right? Because some people might think, see it, you know, like I talked about Carl Jung had psychosis, right? It seems like that's a problem or something wrong with him, right? The, a panic attack, right? It's just kind of telling you that there is something because often you don't know where it came from, right? It's just panic, right? But there's something in the unconscious that is a problem, right? So now now you must face it. You cannot not face it because where the panic attacks continue, right? The other thing I was going to say is that, that not everyone has to be a shaman, right? Probably most people won't, right? It's the rare individual that can truly be a shaman in all these shamanic cultures, but then they bring back the wisdom for other people to benefit from, right? So whether it's wisdom of mm-hmm. Odin, right? Whether you find some wisdom in Carl Jung's writings, uh, let me see the book right now. It's a uh, man and his symbols was his last book, but it was his one meant for the general public. So that's a good one. I'm, I'm just starting it kind of, so it's a good one to read. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've kind of jumped ahead to his more complex stuff. I should have started here. And then like you mentioned that you saw a therapist, right? She might not be a shaman either, right? She might actually be more like a medicine woman, right? She's learned some wisdom from shamans and their theories, and then she puts it into practice so other people can benefit from it, right? So it's not, not everyone needs to be a shaman, but are there any benefits from contacting the spirit realm, right? Like that's a question for everybody to ask themselves. I don't And it, like, I'm wondering, cause I know, you know, maybe, maybe like mental health and like, I know this isn't, this like is not meant to be a podcast on the advocacy for mental health, but like, yeah. you know, maybe a while ago, this was something that was looked negatively upon. Like, why are you so worried about something that you can't control? Just like grow up and like provide for your family and get over it. But like, it's all, that's obviously that, that, that like thought of, all of this has changed over time. And so I'm wondering like what this play, like not maybe like Havamal wasn't written by people that like were advocating for mental health, but like they obviously understood at some, in some capacity, how the human mind works. Yeah. We're always going to be afraid of the future. Yeah. Like we're the always going to be worried about the past and like what we did in the past and like say, why did I do this? Like, I'm going to harp on a mistake I made for the rest of my life. Like, like why, like I'm going to like let that shape me. And that's, that's probably always been around. But like, I think now we just have like different ideas on it, but like, I can relate to in this case, parts of Odin's journey, if that makes sense. Oh yeah. 
the idea is within a coherent culture, there are things that you have that culture that are like kind of protective, right? So you, you have meaning because your culture gives you a sense of meaning, right? Our, our modern culture, you can make it whatever you want to make it, right? There's all kinds of things. Uh, as Frederick Nietzsche said, God is dead and we killed him because we learned too much science and now God doesn't make sense, right? So <laughs> you can try to make sense out of God or you can agree that it's just science and atheism, right? Uh, or you can agree that the Norse timeline doesn't make sense and it, uh, it depends on the story. Yeah, it, the timeline doesn't make sense, so I reject it, right? Or <laughs> I embrace it anyways and all its confusion, right? And one other thing to kind of bring it back into, like, you know, it doesn't have to be about shamans and medicine men treating an illness, right? just this idea of the hero's journey. So within the shaman journey, there's kind of a smaller version that's the hero's journey. And that's when Odin, you know, the, the very general version that's in every story you'll read practically, right? Is there's a hero, there's something that's an evil force that he has to go confront. He probably has to go into a dungeon, into the underground. He has to slay the dragon, which might be a, a female dragon represents his repressed feminine that he has to defeat it, but he also has to confront it, that he's afraid of it. And then he gets some kind of gold and treasures to bring back to town. And now everyone thinks he's great and he has wisdom. And that's kind of, that's every story you'll ever read. You know, we'll, we'll get into eventually uh, Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, but yeah. that's the shaman's journey is kind of that, but it, it's, you got to go deeper basically is the idea. Sure. And like, I'm, I'm wondering now if Billings daughter is, uh, is Odin's repressed feminism. Oh yeah. Or especially like Gunlod, right? Like he, he drills a hole in this cave. He has to go down into the cave. He has to. He, he makes himself kind of a bad person, right? That's one thing he, mm. he confronts is that he is lying to her to get what he wants, right? That's, that's Which one he thing regrets. he regrets. Yeah. In like part two of Havamal, we discuss yeah. like he clearly regrets doing this. He understands he had to do it because you get the meat of poetry, but like yeah. it's obviously still in his mind. Right. He's worried about the past. But then it's also that, right, he, he, he sleeps with a woman and now he's inspired and he knows how to write poetry, right? So it's kind of like <laughs> many layers of metaphor you can use. For. And, yeah. Uh, so it's yeah, like you'll you'll once, and that's what I say about that. The thing I said earlier about the runes, right? Once you know kind of some of these keys, some of these images, some of these archetypes, then you see it everywhere, and then maybe that lets you read deeper into the story, right? So that's I don't know if we we're intending to go anywhere else, John. We probably went over what we were planning to talk about. But. No, no, this this is really cool. You know, I'm wondering if you have any like primary thoughts on all three parts of Havamal. Like I, I know I have mine, and you know, Odin clearly is like often a piece of shit. He's like a piece of like crap bean, like often, but at the same point, he still like sees himself like maybe on this hero's journey, as you mentioned. And he's like sitting here in his old age, talking to probably Lad Fafnir the whole time and saying, don't let them do this. Like do this, like focus on your life because you're going to die one day. Like, here's how you need to provide for yourself and provide for your family. Don't trust your enemies, trust your friends. And then he starts spouting his own like experiences in part two, but then he like kind of starts this like bragging session of him just giving it all up to ultimately become like a better person. And so I think it's kind of like, I know it's, it's supposed to be like different poems that maybe were put together after the fact, but it's, yeah. it's still in its weird way, like kind of a beautiful story. It starts at, at the that, beginning. He's giving a fairly general, a little more surface level advice, right? Then he does start to confront things a little deeper, I think, right? And that, that we talked last week, right? What, what is Odin's deal with, uh, does he hate women or what's, what's his issue, right? But maybe that is some of the, his repressed feminine. And then he also has to confront his shadow, right? You were saying like, Odin's kind of a terrible guy, but he's also a hero, right? And that if he can admit that he's the type of person that goes and lies, lies to a woman, he lies to her so he can lie with her and get what he wants, right? Mm -hmm. If he's ever going to become a person who doesn't do that, he has to admit that he's the type of person that can do that, right? Or else he'll be like, no, 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 yeah. I never, I never lie. I would never cheat. And then he does. And then he's like, I'm just not going to think about it too much because that's not consistent with who I am. So to find the deeper wisdom, 
That's confronting the shadow from Carl Jung, right? He had to do that to then learn even more. And then he learns even more beyond that, right? And then, yeah, so we went into kind of the, the spiritual part that he hallucinates to figure out something else because he just can't get any further without hanging himself from a tree. That was the other thing besides, uh, besides starving yourself that he's hanging from it. It's not really clear if he's hanging from his neck or around his arms or his body. So he can keep hanging there for seven days without dying, right? He doesn't, didn't break his neck. Um, I, I assume there was a rope and maybe he's just a God. So he didn't die, but I, I never really. Yeah. But, but the idea is like actually it. going in a sensory deprivation tank, you get a little bit of these experiences too. You're floating yeah. you can't make sense of your senses. And that leads you to hallucinate faster than, and we read about the one you can take half ping pong balls and put them over your eyes. And if your eyes are open, weird things will happen. And um, I don't know how to test that to figure out if it's safe or not, but maybe I don't, <laughs> I don't recommend anyone do it until we can uh, test it out on Sean and see what happens. But, well, no, I was going to say we can test that on you, but you know, maybe I'll, yeah, no, I'll do it. Why not? We'll just warn, we'll warn Beth, let her know to, you know, come in and grab you if you start hallucinating too much and the uh, Jormungan shows up in your room or something. But, yeah. <laughs> Jormungan. Yeah. Um, or maybe I'm, we're probably both wrong there, but the, like, yeah. I think, the Germ- I, prefer- I think the German, the old German is Jormungan, but you're getting the Norse one closer. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. But yeah, I'm, I'm thinking maybe I'll, I'll opt for the fasting as opposed to <laughs> as opposed to the ping pong balls. But we'll, so see. we'll start. We'll start uh, that's, well, that's what I'm doing again, writing writing my dreams down. So when I wake up, I try to write them down. And then sometimes I realize I write one down and I had three others there I forgot about. So that's actually one approach to it. Yeah. So have you written anything about you wanting to strangle me because I interrupt you like in your dreams or? No. Uh, every once in a while I get. Not yet. I, I've had some of the guys in there. Oh, I'm trying to think if I had you in one of them. Not that I can remember off the top of my head, if I'm honest, but uh, I did. I think I tell, I'll tell Jay and, and Joey them sometimes. I had a good one about one time where I'm like, I think you're, uh, you're like my brother in this journey. And I wasn't sure what to think about that, but I'm like, all right, doesn't want to go on a spirit journey with me anyways. That's fine. I could see that. Awesome. But yeah, that, that's all I had. Um, I appreciate you listening to our three-part series on Havamal and we will see you next week. Bye, Sean. Bye. I danced in the morning when the world was begun And I danced for the moon and the stars and the sun And I danced the heavens and I danced on earth In Bethlehem they had my birth Dance then wherever you may be I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I'll lead you all wherever you may be, and I'll lead you all in the dance, said he. I danced on a Friday and the sky turned black. It's hard to dance with the devil on your back, and they whipped me and stripped me and hung me high, but I am the dance that will never die. Dance then wherever you may be. I am the Lord of the dance, said he, and I'll lead you all wherever you may be, and I'll lead you all in the dance, said he. Tis the gift to be simple, tis the gift to be free, tis the gift to come down where we ought to be. And when we find ourselves in the place just right, we'll be in the valley of love and delight. When true simplicity is gained, to bow and to bend, we shan't be ashamed and to turn, turn. Will be our delight, and by turning, 